Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. As he joins us this morning, I remind everybody that he is going to be one of the featured speakers with plenty of information and lots to talk about. Oh, it'll be right after the uh, new Israeli election uh, during Passover, Pesach 2019. Go to the website, PesachInVayarta.com for information. Again, PesachInVayarta, V-A-L-L-A-R-T-A.com for more information. Malcolm Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you very much. Good to be with you, as always. You're going to be right after the Israeli election. You're going to be bombarded yeah. with questions. <laughs> it's possible, I'll by the way. I answers, but they're, they're, unfortunately, the agenda today and the likelihood of what's ahead in the months to come, I think, will keep us all very busy and uh, with a lot to talk about. Well, there's no question about that. You, it also might be unique in that Pesach could be a week between the election and the actual formation of the government. There could be a lot of jockeying and juggling going on during that time. So what's already an interesting period of time could become even more interesting in the aftermath of the election. Right. Well, then normally it can take a month, two months, three months even with the um, negotiations. This time, giving the splintering of parties, it could be uh, (laughs) – most people anticipated that it would be a much shorter period – but I'm not sure. I think that, uh, you know, there could be a, a, a lot of leveraging. And we don't know what will happen with the indictments. We don't know what will happen with uh, the emerging of opposition uh, parties, not necessarily from the left, but uh, with the Gantz and Yalom and uh, the split between Gabay and, and the very the dramatic split between Gabay and um, uh, Livni this week. I mean, it's quite uh, really the, coming out of the gate. It's a very interesting. Oh, it certainly is. All right, before we get to the elections and some of the other news in the Middle East, uh, the London-based bank HSBC clarified that its decision to divest from Israel's Elbit systems in a is a statement against the production of cluster bombs and has nothing to do with the boycott movement against Israel. Stuart Levy, HSBC's chief legal officer and group managing director, said HSBC's decision to divest from Elbit Systems was not the result of campaigning about a boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, and it is not indicative of support for the movement's objectives. The decision was based on our long-standing defense policy, whereby we do not invest in companies linked to the production or marketing of cluster munitions. You told us last week that you are working on the front lines of this situation. Are you satisfied with this report? Yeah, so first of all, the, um, it's very important for us to focus on the real cases and, you know, with the uh, proliferation of fake news in, in just in the last couple of days, the stories that we've seen New York Times doing three full pages about Gaza. We have um, The Guardian with uh, completely fake news about um, uh, the, the Israel denying medicines to people in Gaza when it turns out it's the PA and their policies that did it. They, there are uh, such a proliferation of fake stories, the one uh, about Beit uh, Lechem uh, and saying that the, the mayor there is saying that Israel is barring people from coming. Since the PA took over there in 95, the Christian population is down from 40% to 12%. The, the, they're the ones who, who block the people. The um, they even told, even said that there's a, uh, a fence that divides a wall that divides the heart of the city. When in fact, the, as you know, the wall Bethlehem is outside of the city; it's north of the city limits. 
So what's very important is that people, and that's why uh, what I said last week is that we're looking into it, because if we get diverted and and, uh, lose credibility when we make uh, accusations or protest, um, uh, when in fact, as in this case, it has nothing to do with BDS. Stuart Levy was an assistant secretary of the Treasury. He was um, he was the guy who did the the sanctions. He's a, a good Jew, a very committed Jew, and a really good guy, and someone I would trust. So we consulted with him, and it turns out that this is a policy that applies to Raytheon, to Lockheed Martin, to companies around the world, all of whom they do not invest in. If and because Elbit bought IMI, which does produce some cluster munitions, that they uh, it, it was an automatic process that they were they w- would not invest through their mutual funds, but they have the full panoply of involvement in Israel, including a bank in Israel. None of that is affected. So if it's a universal policy, we can agree, disagree whether they should, but they, they it has nothing to do with discrimination against Israel or, or support for BDS. Okay, so it sounds like you're satisfied with the response. I am satisfied that this is not a PDS case, yes, absolutely. Staying outside of Israel and speaking about uh, policies that uh, that are offensive and in many cases practically difficult for Jews, um, we've discussed in the past those European countries that have made efforts to ban shechita, uh, ritual slaughter. And uh, it, it seems this week, that, and, and, and very often, speaking of fake news, very often those reports of that blanket statement, you know, country banning shechita, very often there are a lot of caveats or details that are not reported, and the situation very often is not as severe as as thought by members of the Jewish community. This week we heard about a shechita ban being implemented in a uh, prominent area, including the Jewish community area of Belgium. Uh, number one, is it true or fake? And number two, I would think that if in fact it did become law and it's now implemented there would have been a major outcry from the jewish world from the international uh, jewish presence what can you tell us about this well in this case it is true and it is it's specific areas that were voted locally um to to implement a ban on on uh, but it's also a ban on halal and um, they, it probably wasn't primarily directed at um, at Jews, but uh, the the impact is the same nonetheless. And the real danger here is the precedent that it sets. Uh, and we know from past that uh, shechita and brit milah, circumcision and kosher slaughter, are the first two targets of anti-Semites in countries that uh, were adopting anti-Semitic policies. Right. Start with with those two, and without them, Jewish life is not possible. And I think this is a message, and it was not adopted by all of Belgium or all of Europe, as some of the reports would have indicated. It is a, a more isolated policy, but nonetheless, it is being considered in other regions as well. Uh, and it's and people say, well, it's only anti-Muslim. I, I don't believe that. We see the rise of anti-Semitism in, uh, over the past years uh, abroad and in the United States. The reports that come out at the... Um, End of the end of the year um, indicate clearly the rise in, in within Europe. Even though the Council of Europe adopted the first real declaration to fight anti-Semitism and provide security of the Jewish communities in Europe, nonetheless, we we've seen the the policies that and the the and numbers 
whether it's in, in New York where the police indicated that uh, uh, there was a significant increase in the nine, uh, the FBI had said 37 percent. I think the New York police was 21 percent in anti-Semitic attacks. But in both cases, Jews are the primary target of hate crimes, not Muslims, not others. And that the the numbers continue to increase, and it's certainly true in Europe. So these expressions, whether it's adoption by a, a local council uh, of a measure like this, are reflective of a trend and and are warning signals. Or in this case, I think we're past the warning signals. This is this is the reality uh, of um, of what is happening, and and there isn't enough, I think, attention paid by the governments, and we, while some of them have taken measures, France, others uh, give money, written, uh, are supportive of, of the communities and try to help them with uh, financially or in other ways. But the fact is overall that the tolerance for anti-Semitism is now resulting in the, the growth of these extremist movements. And the, to me, the interesting thing is that the vast majority of the anti well, the majority of the anti-Semitic attacks, the largest percentage, which I think was more than 30 percent, were Muslims. Then left wing and right wing made up about 15 percent, even though the image you would get is that the right wing attacks are much more prominent. Would an international uproar of significance from the Jewish world have prevented this law from being implemented in that no, they were protested it was protested all along both by europeans by by we have and others i know uh, spoke out on it uh, but it's a local uh, parliament it's it's sort of like a regional city council or some right. state adopting uh, um, this and, uh, measure and practically speaking i guess that that the the people living in that area can bring in meat from other areas and yes. and, and and solve the problem in that way in terms of practical, uh, practically dealing with it. Um, tell me about the, uh, before we get to the actual discussion of the elections and some of the many earthquakes that happened on the Israeli election scene this week, uh, tell me about the likelihood of a pre-election hearing uh, of a complete suspension of the whole uh, case against Prime Minister Netanyahu. What's likely to happen over the next couple of months in that regard? Because he's already said that if there's an indictment or a hearing, I think he said, uh, he would not resign, but the majority of Israelis who were polled, if you believe the polls, would prefer that he would resign under those circumstances. Right. He's still the most popular figure, obviously, and uh, and clearly the a leader, and whether of choice or not, but of the when you come down to it, you see Likud still leads in the polls. So he has, he has the support and uh, of uh, a very significant part of the Israeli populace. Uh, but the issues of indictments, uh, and, and the question is what happens if there is a, not an indictment, but uh, if he's summoned, if they, they have um, hearings. hearings which are preliminary to, to an indictment. Uh, he said that it's it's anti-democratic to do it before the election. People should be able to vote, and then after the vote, whatever legal process should take place. The attorney general said he will move ahead and do it as as uh, process uh, unfolds and not be dictated to by the calendar of the elections. But the, and, and remember, uh, Mandelblit was appointed by Netanyahu, but was it the cabinet secretary? But you've told us they've had beef with each other, as the kids would say. And they are, <laughs> he is a, he's a man of great integrity and uh, I think has the respect uh, of uh, people, but Netanyahu obviously, I guess, has his differences with him now. 
Um, so That's an it's, it, it, it will raise many questions. We'll have to go to the Supreme Court, I think, about what happens. But my guess is that you're not going to have indictments. And there may even be, according to some experts, not enough evidence to, to really bring charges or I- implicate him in, let's say, the subway, the um, submarine uh, case or some of the others. Uh, and the question is, do, do the charges against them rise to the degree of, of uh, being able to, to have a case against them? The one thing the police don't want, because their credibility and the attorney general doesn't want, is to, have, is to bring a case, a high-profile case like this, and then lose it. It's happened too often in the past, and the police and the, the legal authorities uh, lose their standing amongst the people when that happens. All right, so now on to the, uh, these, these, uh, these interesting pieces of news regarding the upcoming election itself. Uh, first of all, we should remind everybody that modern Jewish history does tell us that new party formation is a very delicate area. Uh, very often, there are times where it does work, and there are times when it does last a while. Uh, the new parties, meaning, uh, last a while. But, but, but there have been many times when there is a uh, completely, you know, a, a, a real unattraction by the uh, uh, by, the uh, public to new parties. So when when one goes ahead and does what Naftali Bennett has done, Ayala Shaked, just an example, uh, they they are taking a major risk. They have no idea what you know the reaction is going to be from the public. With that in mind, what didn't they like about their current party that made them form the new one? <laughs> uh, well, maybe they they read polls, and I'm sure they did a lot of studying before they made a move like this. Uh, also, the the party had has tremendous debts, tens of millions of shekels of debt, and um, they felt that they were not appealing to a broad enough constituency that they were too bound by the uh, religious Zionists part, and they want to have something that appeals to a broader number of people. And there have been these tensions within the party all along. Uh, I think that they. Uh, felt that it was their personal popularity. Shaked is popular. She's the Minister of Justice, and uh, he is the Minister of Education and Diaspora Affairs and other things. Um, and, uh, you know, Carolyn Glick, the, the columnist from the Jerusalem Post, has, has signed on to run on, on their ticket, and we will see who else they're able to attract. But you, you're raising a very fundamental point, and people, you know, cite the fact that Benny Gantz, a former chief of staff, uh, came out of the box, you know, announcing the party, and right out of the gate, he's at 15 seats or 20 seats or 21 seats. But, you know, experience in Israel is that every time somebody new comes out, people say, well, I would vote for him until they actually have to go in debates and make presentations and come up with policies and be able to sustain it, and that it dissipates over time. And, And the fact that Netanyahu still is at 30, 31 could be more or less. Um, obviously, Bennett takes votes from him, um, and Bennett and Shaked. But the, the the this is the immediate reaction. We have to see what his lineup will be. I think you're going to see a lot of people fall by the wayside. Michael Oren is, was one uh, this week who who uh, was dropped by Kulano or out, dropped out of Kulano. Uh, we see um, many others who are on their own volition say they don't want to run again, but many who, in the shifting of the political scene, and uh, Galant, who is a popular minister, uh, left 
uh, became Minister of Absorption. He was Minister of Construction, I think it's called. And he um, he bolted from his party and went to is running in the Likud uh, primary. So there will be a lot of shifting and also negotiations then about what whether there can be a coalescence, for instance. Uh, um, Boogie Alom is also also Minister of Defense and Chief of Staff has a party, so will he and uh, coalesce together with in before the election, or say that after the election they will uh, unite and work together? Let's say with Gantz, he already said that he won't join a government that is Yalom led by Netanyahu, who he has served in the past. So a lot of shifting. Much too early for people to draw conclusions about who who will lead what parties. Will Avi Gabay now lead Labor into a coalition with Gantz or with someone else? And Lapid seems to retain a significant number of followers. Will he then join with other parties? Will Tzipi Livni bring Hatnua into something else? And she still seems to have five seats in the polls. But, you know, Israelis are notoriously known for telling the truth to the pollsters and then lying at the polls. <laughs> it's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Did you ever meet Amos O's? I guess I did meet Amos. And by the way, I just wanted to say one other thing that's really remarkable is the reports that the religious parties will run together, which will make a difference as well and would give oh, well, them a strong block. Yeah, we'll get back to that in a second. Um, um, uh, yes, I met I met Amos uh, uh, not often, but uh, you know he was a tremendous cultural figure in Israel, probably the most popular writer. He's very left, very interesting, very biography. strong points of view, yeah. uh, very popular, of course, in Europe. And uh, in the United States, yeah, very interesting biography. Learned a lot reading about his life uh, last weekend. Um, all right, so back to the election for a moment. If you were Caroline Glick's advisor, wouldn't you have advised her differently? Meaning, uh, when one is a very influential journalist, and again, we're English speakers, it's possible that you know she's not as influential on the other side of the world as she might be among us. Uh, you know, English speakers, but but when one has the forum and platform that she has and is using it as effectively as she has, um, isn't the recommendation usually to stay out of politics and not to be buried, you know, on a, on a list of political candidates who, you know, will essentially be, you know, one of another, you know, group of people who are sitting in that 120-member Knesset? Yes, that... Um... That is often the case, but we've seen it here. We've seen it elsewhere, where uh, people in media and others want to have a uh, want to make an impact, want to make a difference, and feel that uh, while they have tremendous influence, she certainly has influence through her column, which is widely read, as you said, in English. Uh, I don't know how strong if it has the equivalent impact uh, amongst the Hebrew readers, but she she. Uh, obviously made a, uh, a decision, and she's a pretty thoughtful person. I, I don't think she just jumped into it, uh, because, uh, but it's, uh, you know, people who are on the cusp of uh, and, and constantly involved in the political realm yeah. say, 
I can make a difference. Right. And I can pursue different policies. And if right. I think it certainly got her got attention to the new party by virtue of her joining. Tell her to have a talk with Benny Began. And then they'll see him. She <laughs> <And then laughs> won't make it to that party. No, that's for sure. Um, and by the way, it's interesting to see her throw her hat in the ring when at the same time we're reading articles or specifically an article that got a lot of attention in Ma'ariv, uh, uh, resenting, you know, expats of the USA who are now living in Israel, describing them as people who couldn't get jobs in America and therefore they came to Israel, describing their contribution to Israeli society as meaningless. I thought it was funny, that article coming out, when she and Daron Spielman and others who were born here are, you know, are, are considering runs for the Knesset. Well, you know, the, the people who came on Aliyah uh, over the last uh, 20, 30 years, now they emerge into the political process. They they weren't there before. The, but you had Americans who ran, Weinberg, others, he was Canadian, right. uh, who were in the Knesset. You had uh, um, others who were born in, in the United States. Lippmann was in Knesset? Well, Lippmann for a short time, right? And... Um, uh, and then you have uh, uh, Michael Oren, others right. who who uh, were involved. So you so you might think that that uh, Mariv article is a little a little off base. But certainly off base, and you know it's easy for for people to to uh, you know everybody can opine, and then it becomes a scandalous story. But then they go on to the next thing in Israel. These things have very, very short shelf lives. Yeah. All right. Um, and 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 the last point on the whole on the whole journalist um, going to the Knesset or trying to go to the Knesset, the real question becomes: Where can you have more influence? Where can you where can you accomplish more of whatever your goal might be? Is it as an outsider? As is it as an insider? And I guess that's essentially uh, what the debate's always going to be. All right, now you just mentioned something really important at the top of the hour, and that is that uh, the rumor that you have heard that the religious parties may. Run together now. When you say religious parties, I assume you're referring to the what what is traditionally the Aguda block and the Shas block. Is that what you're? That, is that what you mean? And Dego. And well, right. Well, Dego. That would be they'd be a natural partner with Aguda, right? If I'm not mistaken, I mean, I think right. They, and the two of them. Uh, and Derry uh, right. coming together. That's the report. And then I mean, we've seen some questions raised about it, but that will make a, a difference if the three parties are able to to run together. Um, We'll see. And I never assumed that anything you read until the day of the election and they're still together. Right. Even more significant to me, as you mentioned that, is that does the Shaked Bennett move essentially put an end to what we know as the traditional religious Zionist party? Well, they get to a point where they may not even have a seat in the Knesset. Well, because, you mean whether they'll meet the threshold right. of getting 5%. Uh, there are a lot of parties like Lieberman and others who they raise questions whether they will make it to the, the threshold. Uh, I, I, look, I think there is a strong religious Zionist uh, constituency, the Mizrahi uh, vote. Uh, they have now, they, they're facing a serious um, decision, and they've been meeting with Rob Druckmann and others uh, over the last days. I think that the party will still run. I still think that they can make the five percent um, threshold right true or not that the reports that settlement building let's call it that for the purposes of this conversation settlement building under the quote-unquote netanyahu in jerusalem trump in washington administration is uh, spreading like wildfire as has been described 
in the media because Washington uh, has given the Prime Minister carte blanche. Finally, the settlement building that Netanyahu has been looking for all these years is finally taking place. Well, first of all, I think it's exaggerated about, um, you know, that this is like wildfire. There are expansions that have been in the works for many years, like in Efrat. And second is, you know, that the American government has been critical of some of the decisions, even this administration, mildly, but and not threatening or anything as a result. Uh, and, you know, that there are a lot of complaints from the people living in the West Bank that, that construction has been very slow and they... Uh, obviously took action against one of the illegal construction sites and uh, and not enough against the Palestinian sites, and they claim uh, illegal construction on the other side, um, by the other side in the, in the same areas. So you shouldn't jump to conclusions that the, the uh, expansion has increased so dramatically and how much of this is tied to the uh, upcoming election and trying to win those seats away from Bennett-Shaked uh, coalition that the government, um, that Netanyahu is looking to, to gain their support as well. Yeah, I got that. Um, report that there are many, many people leaving Turkey uh, at this point. And so my question is, where are they going? That is actually a very good question because it, it is true that uh, a quarter of a million people left. And this uh, is all economy-related or, or fear of Erdogan? What is it? Uh, I think a combination. Uh, there were thousands, more than, I think they said, 10,000 millionaires who moved their assets out of the com- country, mostly to the EU and to the UAE, to the United Arab Emirates, uh, to Abu Dhabi and Dubai. The, um, uh you know, the situation in the country where you have more radicalization, uh, more Islamization of the country, but also the economic collapse of the currency. And with Erdogan using the money for his nefarious activities um, in um, in many places, including uh, now along the Syrian border mm-hmm. against the PKK and saying that they will move in uh involved in negotiations over whether they will purchase the S-400 defense system from Russia, meaning the first NATO country to do it, which could compromise the security of the F-35 stealth bombers that they want to buy from the United States. The United States offered them the Patriot system, which they had wanted a long time ago, and the United States did not sell them. uh, There are a lot of issues involving Turkey directly today in Erdogan, uh, who has made some very hostile anti-Israel statements of late, as he has all along, and um, many in the Jewish community there are in, living in great concern. There have been, there's obviously been an out-migration over years that has um, uh, been sustained uh, over the most recent period, the last year. Uh, but now we see it that the general population finds it more and more intolerable. And he is continuing his adventurism and his uh, very harsh uh, declarations, um, especially when it comes to Israel, and even, uh, I would say, crossing the line into anti-Semitism. What can you tell us about this episode that's getting a lot of attention, that uh, Palestinian medic Rujan al-Najjar was killed by an Israeli soldier on June the 1st and the aftermath of that situation? So they, they... Assigned five reporters of the New York Times to to write this story makes the front page of the New York Times 
You know, the Archbishop of Canterbury, in the same time, talked about the diminution of Christian populations, the persecution of Christians, the deaths of thousands and thousands of Christians at the hands of Muslims in in the Middle East. uh, And we know what's happening to to so many others, and that the uh, how many people the PA has executed, or Syria emptying their prisons and executing uh, um, large numbers of uh, political opponents or prisoners so they don't have to bother with them. And that, uh, I mean, there are all of these reports, and yet they get short shrift everywhere uh, and hardly any coverage. Uh, when we talk about We'll talk about what's uh, what's going on in some in Lebanon and Syria and with with Iran, et cetera. But the um, you know the the disproportion and distortion of this story because you don't see until the very end that they did not target the medic that it was a ricocheted bullet that the mm-hmm. bullet hit the dirt and ricocheted off something. And hit the the medic and, and and resulted in the death, but the it was not as they p- portray it in most of the article, and repeated to charges you know that 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 they were that they killed and this is a potential war crime or could be a war crime. All of these others are real war crimes. There's no war crime when you're defending your border against the onslaught of thousands of people who are breaking through the, the barrier, who are throwing things, uh, sending uh, balloons with with um, uh, uh, bombs on them, one that landed this week again near a kindergarten, the, that are uh, shot a thousand rockets and missiles across the Gaza border this year, this past year alone, a thousand into Israel. And that these soldiers who exercise tremendous restraint, and it's regrettable if somebody gets killed, uh, you know, that was engaged in whatever activities, but they, were, but they were there as protesters. They were there in the middle of the demonstrations. It wasn't as if Israel, you know, singled out some civilian and, and, and killed. There's no war crime to defend your border, to defend your citizens. And yet this uh, story, it just reflects the impact and why uh, I just why we are so sensitive with stories and all these things and people say, why do you have to react to it? Why do you care about it? Uh, an American gets a, a sentence of life imprisonment for, for daring to sell to to uh, property to a Jew. And, you know, I, I was involved in a heavy discussion with some uh, people who were media people who were very critical and saying, well, this, will, this is disputed territory and therefore you cannot sell – I said, why, why is it, what has it got to do with there's disputed territory? This doesn't determine the status of the territory. A guy sells a house to someone, <laughs> and then he'll live there. So you're saying, though, that a Jew won't be able to live in this area, whether regardless of what the ultimate outcome of negotiations is, whose sovereignty is imposed. Why can't a Jew be there and buy a house, and if it's the Palestinian authority gets control, then that will be it. But it's not predetermining anything. It's not impacting the ultimate outcome. And yet these people in media, American media, arguing and, and asserting that, well, this is, you know, this is a violation and it, it changes, it, it precludes negotiations. It doesn't do any of that. It's simply somebody buying property and that the, the ultimate outcome of negotiations will determine the, the status of it and the, the authority. God willing, it will be, remain as part of, uh, of uh, the Jewish state. But. The, the 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 false premises that become accepted 
It's really incredible. And look at Hamas killing collaborators, setting six more to death. We see that 44 other people were arrested by the PA over the past year, and, and many of them facing death sentences. Why? Because they sold land. And an um, uh, Israeli Arab who was killed in Nazareth because he'd been accused of selling uh, property or land to, to a Jew. This is unbelievable. You know how many Arabs are buying land, with, including with money from outside, inside Israel? Nobody gets a death sentence for it. Unbelievable. I mean, serious stuff. And, I, I, you know, I, it, it irks me because we saw such a confluence of these stories in, in the, just in the last week or two. And, the, um, uh, you know, Israel and the United States drew, dropped out of UNESCO because of the constant fake history that we've talked about. And I won't go through it, you know, where they deny Jerusalem, they deny the Jewish connections, they deny Jewish tides, the bias, the, you know, the, the incredible nature of, of uh, some of the debates that go on. You ask ambassadors who serve there, and they tell you the hostile atmosphere, the outrageous things that are said. So when people raise questions, we'd be better to stay in. They try to stay in. They try to support the, the new Azulai, who's the new head of it, you know, made some uh, gestures, but they went ahead with the decision, both the United States and Israel, to pull out because they felt it's just beyond repair and that this anti-Israel bias continues. And you have to take a, a stand against it. You, ha- you cannot just let these stories and these uh, like Airbnb and other things, why it's not the economic impact. You see that Israel's, I don't know, foreign investment was like $6.1 billion this past year. It's an all-time record. And the um, the exports were $110 billion, uh, which was uh, an 8 or 10% increase. So economically, BDS is not hurting Israel. But it's the policy. It's what's behind it. It's the it's the um, precedents that are set that are very dangerous for for people, for Jews in Israel and Jews around the world. No question about that. Finally, I, I keep hearing or, or reading, I should say, about uh, Egyptian cooperation with Israel being at its highest ever or its best ever. Um, how does that manifest itself? I mean, we, as you just said before, you know, there, there's still there's still fire balloons coming over, and there's still plenty of protests Israel has to deal with on the Gaza border. Uh, I would assume that this cooperation has nothing to do with the fact that Hamas would still love to start an open war against Israel, but considers whether it's smart for them to do so along that southern border. So how does this manifest itself, the Egyptian cooperation with Israel? Okay, so there's been a a lot written, you're right, over last week's assessing, because sometimes Sisi has made um, some rousing speeches in which he he made some... um, appeals to the people, uh, as they call it, with uh, negative comments. But every day, every day, Israel and Egypt are working together to contain the dangers from Gaza. Egypt destroyed 1,300 tunnels coming from Gaza into Israel. If you think, just think if Morsi had been there during this period, how different the situation would have been. That Egyptian and Israeli warplanes fly together, they worked Israel helping in the Sinai to fight ISIS and to fight the flow of weapons into Gaza. Uh, Egypt certainly has been uh, very forthright. He just allocated $72 million to rebuild Jewish heritage sites in in uh, Egypt and to to do... Um, uh, he's also changed the textbooks. But unfortunately, the anti-Israel venom amongst the people continues. It's, it's, it's 90% or so. The um, uh, pe- Egyptians who live in Israel, 
who have a dual citizenship or for other reasons were in Israel for business in extended periods uh, are finding that they lose citizenship. These are things that are being fought. But So they say that there are mixed signals, but if you look at the overall assessment and you think of the alternatives, what he is doing in Libya, what he's trying to do to sustain uh, an economy that is, uh, you know, everything is racked up against them when 50% of the people are making $2 a day, they're trying to sustain the economy, and he's still fighting the Muslim Brotherhood and, of course, the terrorists. We saw the attack on the tourists during the yeah. during um, New Year's weekend, I think, or, or right before. So he's got a, a very difficult uh, assignment, but I will tell you that I'm sure that the Prime Minister of Israel, the uh, Chief of Staff of Israel, all of them pray for his health and that uh, he will be there. And, and uh, you know, we also saw, we shouldn't um, uh, not mention the positive story of the visit of, the Net- of Netanyahu to Bolsonaro, the, the new president of Brazil, who said he will move his embassy. Honduras supposedly saying they will move their embassy. Yeah, I think Bibi, I think Bibi could, Bibi could run for president of Brazil the way he got the reception he had there. That even and I told one story that he was at a, some seaside restaurant with his wife, and somebody yelled, walked by and yelled "Free Palestine," and he said "From Hamas." Ooh. <laughs> and, uh, but but he got a really hero's welcome there. Remember that we've had hostile governments in Brazil right. uh, of late, and this one is um, is quite the reverse. People have likened him to Trump to others, but he's. Um, uh, he's right now very popular, and and, be, and it translated to BB in a time. And if you talk to um, Israeli ambassadors to Brazil about how hostile it was and the difficulties that um, uh, they had, we also saw the adoption of the law against human shields, which puts Hamas and Hezbollah under new sanctions. And the president will have to see what President Trump does to uh, to implement um, those. I mean, it's just there's so much that has, that goes on that every week, you know, you can hardly believe uh, how many things are, are taking place and why people have to stay on top of the news all the time and talk to their kids and talk about what, uh, you know, the new tunnels that were discovered, the fifth tunnel. These are uh, and the, you know, that Israel is filling them with liquid cement and it comes out the other end. And there is one online where you see all of a sudden the, the, Hamas, the Hezbollah operatives and all of a sudden you hear this rumbling noise and the cement starts pouring into the houses and the villages where the, and the factories where this stuff, where the tunnels are started. So you know the actual origins. Uh, it also seals them from from uh, future use. And UNIFIL has confirmed uh, three of them and the violations of the Security Council, and yet they take very little action. And Iran, we know, is uh, within the 50 kilometers uh, from Israel's border that they're supposed to be excluded from and are uh, expanding their uh, their presence. And the now the shifting alliance with the U.S. saying the withdrawal, now delaying the withdrawal, uh, what's going to happen with the Kurds, what's going to happen in Iraq, and their greater involvement both in Iran and internally and with ISIS having to shift where they, they will operate. Uh, these are all really long-term challenges that that are complex, I understand, and it makes the brain hurt sometimes. But you got to follow them and understand what they really mean. A reminder, Malcolm Holine will be Pesach in beautiful Puerto Vallarta. And so far, he is not taking me along. So far. That could, that could change, folks. I'm looking for an appropriate size suitcase. 
<laughs> Go to PesachInVallarta.com or dial 786-290-5919. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Thank Vice Chairman. Pl- pleasure. Ma- Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference President of Major American Jewish Organizations. Thank you so much. We will speak next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline with us. JM in the AM Friday morning. Arif Shabbos.